Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Gelbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity and Play and download archived editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Playworks founder and CEO, Jill Violet. Playworks is a national nonprofit organization whose mission is to improve the health and well-being of children by increasing opportunities for physical activity and safe, meaningful play. They've engaged more than 130,000 children in 300 schools in 23 U.S. cities. And prior to Playworks, our guest, Joe Violet, co-founded the Museum of Children's Art, an organization dedicated to helping families and communities celebrate the art and creativity of their children. Joe was named to Forbes Magazine's Impact 30 list of the world's leading social entrepreneurs as well. Joe Violet, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thanks so much. Well, first off, tell us about Playworks and what it is and, and how you started it. Sure. So uh, Playworks currently operates. We have offices in 23 cities across the country, and we have two really main components to what we do. Um, the the first and sort of the thing we're more well known for is a direct service program where we hire uh, basically recess coaches who are out in low-income urban public elementary schools full-time, so from the very first day of school till the very last day, uh, every day full-time, being really the nexus of play at those schools. So working at all the recesses to make sure that they're inclusive, fun, engaging environments, uh, working in the classrooms, uh, working in the out-of-school time, and then really coordinating a group of the oldest students at that school to really own the the play that happens there and to really rebuild the, the culture of play. And then we also have a training business, uh, which is more agnostic in who we serve. So uh, our training goes anywhere. It's the idea is that any school can be a playwork school. And so we are serving uh, in rural communities, suburban communities, private schools, more affluent communities, Department of Defense schools, tribal communities. So uh, the training um, enables us to really go wherever. And that work, we work with existing school staff, teachers, parent volunteers, families, college students, and we train them to really take our approach and make it work at school. I have to go back to what your description about recess coaches and ask the question, what does it say about play that we actually need coaches <laughs> to help us play better or to have recess? If we, if we think about as adults back to when we were kids and what recess meant and looked like, why do we need coaches now? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. And in some ways, the the word coach, I think, is just a, it's a term that the kids really identify with. And I think every kid deserves to have a great coach. Uh, when I was growing up, um, I grew up in D.C. And, uh, you know, every day after school and all summer long and, and during the weekends, I was out unsupervised playing um, in these very mixed age groups of kids. And um, I think there was a very real culture of play that I was taught that involved learning how to do rock, paper, scissors to resolve conflicts, uh, making up games, picking teams so that they were even, um, self-handicapping so that if a game, if a team was super, if teams were lopsided, that 
everyone was having a modicum of fun, so you had enough people to keep going. Um, and that culture has really fallen away. So in a lot of ways, our coaches out in the schools function like the older kids in the neighborhood used to, really just uh, teaching these sort of uh, – and norming these sort of behaviors around empathy and teamwork and leadership and inclusion. And, uh, you know, not to get super nerdy, but – it is exactly sort of what John Dewey predicted 100 years ago when he was writing about formal and informal education. He predicted that, you know, with a greater emphasis on formal education, that is in-class, sort of age-based learning around more specific subjects, that the the culture that supported informal education, the multi-age, out-of-class time, uh, sort of more the, the learning that really helps communities let their newest members know how we expect them to function, that he anticipated that that informal education would fall away. Well, Jill, um, I want to say first congratulations on receiving the Irvine Foundation Award this year. Very exciting. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. And um, what I noticed, uh, one of the things I noticed when I was looking at the Playwork site is the videos and one of them in particular um, really struck me um, about how uh, they were talking about a 10-minute video about uh, recess and what the teachers were seeing and encountering and dealing with as teachers and in the classroom in terms of aggressiveness of the kids and how, as you and Steve were just talking about, how recess has um, changed over the years, and now in a lot of urban areas, the teachers are they're having to um, wrestle with recess, I guess you could say. <laughs> so that leads me to ask, um, in your model and the mission of PlayWorks is to bring more a safe and meaningful play to the to recess and into into the classroom. So I wonder what. The definition then is of safe play because a lot of the forums I'm on and people that I talk to, there's a lot of conversation about what's safe and do we need mm-hmm. to be that safe and how's that look? And then what, <laughs> what does meaningful play mean um, now in our culture and you know, on our playgrounds? So it is. It's a, the, yeah, I mean uh, the safe parts are. It's a it's a great question and it's an interesting question and you know it's a. Um, it's a moving target in a lot of ways. Like my, I think my kids have accused me of being the only parent in America who frequently sends them outside and says, wait on doing your homework, go out and do it outside and do something healthy, like break your arm or something. <laughs> so, they, um, so, I mean, I think safety, uh, you know, we operate in schools and we live in a litigious society. And so the reality is, is that part of my responsibility in serving those schools well. And and those principles are my customer, and I think we've had a lot of success because we recognize that and and we handle that relationship with um, a lot of respect and care and the same kind of stewardship that you that we handle our relationship with the kids. We really we value those relationships and, and recognize that our success as as well as our integrity and everything else sort of rests in our ability to do that. So we are mindful of creating an environment that is both physically and emotionally safe for kids. Um, and I think what's what's interesting in the process of rebuilding a culture where play is understood and where kids really get to explore their own 
leadership and ownership of it. I mean, in a lot of ways, when we're working at recess, uh, we're creating enough structure so that the kids can navigate it in a successful way. And in doing that, we create some of the very rare opportunities that the kids have during the day to really be, to have some modicum of control of the world around them. And that's hugely important. But to do that well, there have to be some just underlying shared values around um, safety. And, and I think we typically, for us, um, when I talk with staff about well, what, is, what does safety look like and feel like, it comes down to respect. You know, it's all about physical and emotional respect and, and being treated physically and emotionally the way you would want to be treated. And 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 generally speaking, you can get super theoretical about it, but um, it's one of those things where if you really check yourself in the moment, you know if you're being respectful or not. And so that's that's the guide and the barometer we use for, for sort of advising our staff. The meaningful... Um, I think it's a spectrum, and um, you know you don't need to be meaningful every moment of the day. And I uh, and I think um, for us, uh, the meaningful is you know intentionally open to interpretation. And um, I think the the sometimes when I'm sort of struggling, like what's meaningful? Um, I, again, it's sort of a falling back on how does it make you feel? And I. You know, I think in terms of building schools where kids want to be, um, we haven't, as the grown-ups in charge, paid adequate attention to school climate and how kids feel at school and how absolutely singularly important that is in, in building effective schools. And I I just think sometimes when um, people ask me about, okay, so what would meaningful look like to you, I say, look... The Maya Angelou quote is always a great one to fall back on. People aren't going to remember what you said, and they're not going to remember what you do. They're just going to remember how you made them feel. The um, your the the website for PlayWorks uh, has a, a recent blog post where you've got a great infographic about physical activity, and um, I think connecting into what you're just saying about you know school climates where uh, both students and adults feel good in whatever activity they're involved in, but I think in a lot of schools, as as um, you've already alluded to a little bit, and and in other conversations we've had on the show about play, um, you know, it, it's absent in many school districts or many states. And the, this infographic, you know, is talking about, you know, on the one hand, kids needing 60 minutes of physical activity every day, but you know, then proceeding to go through how few states have explicit um, guidelines or laws or policies um, to actually support that happening. So I presume a, a fair amount of your work is also helping to advocate for, for bringing more physical activity, whether it's in the recess or in the classroom, um, back into the school day and back into kids' lives. And wondering if you have practical advice for <laughs> listeners who might want to advocate for these kinds of changes you know, knowing that the um, that the absence and omission is might be present in their schools and their communities, how do they start to change that? Yeah, I mean, it's a that the research you're referring to. It's it's from folks. I think it's UC San Diego's Active Living Research folks, and it's on the website. And it's great. It's amazing research, and um, and so it's been for us a really interesting uh, 
uh, sort of experience trying to figure out how to be uh, effective advocates. Um, And and I think, again, it gets back to what I was saying a little bit about um, working with the principals. I got to tell you, in terms of being an effective activist, um, for us, what we've found so far is that leading with a high degree of empathy really uh, creates the best allies. And and by that, I mean um, going in to, especially in working with schools, openly acknowledging that schools are being held accountable to a fairly narrow set of standards um, and that uh, I think, again, we, that we've been successful in scaling to the extent that we have because we meet principals and educators where they are. We don't come in and say, look, uh, you should be doing this thing around play because play is so incredibly important, which I believe to be true. And I don't actually think that they don't think that that's true. I, I think that they're in a sort of unfortunate position of being held accountable to a, this narrow set of standards and um, – and the stakes are really high for them. And so um, we come in and we say, look, we have a cost-effective solution to your group management problem at lunchtime and, and, and recess. And not that, you know, and I don't mean to, like, minimize it or, or do anything other than um, meet people where they are so that they can become allies. In the larger activist kind of um, Mindset, you know, there are some unfunded mandates that have been proposed around mandating recess, and they worry me because I just feel like unless you really recognize the situations that educators are, the, the sort of the environment in which educators are operating, and really take that into account and really, you know, lead with empathy, we're not going to collectively achieve the change in school environment. And and, and so so the, the the tip then would be to if we're parents or teachers or people who want to see more play available at schools, it's really approaching it from a, this is how we are going to leverage play to recover instructional time. This is how we're going to leverage play to reduce bullying. This is how we're going to leverage play to create an environment where kids really want to be and that in doing that uh, decreases student absence. Um, Those kind of things. And I, I know it sounds like it's it's not making play as central as it could be, but I just think strategically it's a it's a more effective route. Have you, <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Picking up on your mention of principles, and again, like you said, I mean, in most cases, I imagine that there's very few principals and teachers who, who think play is a bad thing, but have you actually found hostility toward increasing this, you know, again, recognizing the realities of that uh, and the challenges they face in terms of how how their time is used, and probably being a good part of the cause for for why recess and play has been squeezed out. But have you also found open hostility around, or maybe not that extreme, but <laughs> right. uh, resistance, yeah, right? Support, yeah, yeah, resistance, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, I, I, and I have a lot of I, I get it. Like, so the real like the reality is is that the world has changed significantly, right? And and that sort of that my childhood that I was describing earlier about being outside and having all those opportunities to develop the skills to get games going and keep games going, kids don't come to school with those. And so if you're a classroom teacher and you're already under a huge amount of pressure to, you know, improve uh, the performance on academics and especially around testing, and um, you take your kids out for recess and it devolves quickly into uh, disagreements about was it out, was it in, kids who don't really know the rules of the games, situations where that leave kids feeling, you know, uh, 
unsafe and like issues are unresolved. When those kids come back into class, it's hard to teach. And so I don't think it's anything other than understandable that teachers and educators would sometimes see recess and, and these play opportunities as things that are detracting from the learning environment. And I think that's what's so wild to me about our work and about play and recess in schools in general is it is this both this opportunity and this need that's been hiding in plain sight, and nobody's talking about it. You know, you get to these education reform conversations, and most schools, even though there have been some um, trends over the years where people eliminated recess or reduced recess or take recess away as a punishment, it's a fact of most school days. There are more minutes available for physical activity at recess than there are physical and education or after school or any of the other ones that get much more visibility and, and conversation. But people aren't talking about it. It's like it's a it's a and I and what we know is that when when you pay attention to recess, it can be this incredible lever for really positive things. Well. One of the things I noticed um, in, again, looking through the website and um, different avenues there is rock, paper, scissors. And <laughs> it, it and it, re- it always reminded me of the game. And then I was watching how the um, Playworks coaches or leaders um, were working with the kids in the fee- field and playground and with recess, with rock, paper, scissors, and the organization that happened through that simple game and decision-making and clear guidelines for the kids about, gee, we're going to make this decision go. And um, there's this whole um, there's whole research around uh, movement patterns and styles, one of them being organization that I'm working with. And so I could see you bringing that into the playground and with uh, the coaches that are there and help in helping the kids to have their, this is my area for dodgeball, this is my area for jump roping and for hula hoop and so forth. And then the kids, I could see as I watched the videos, them uh, physically relaxing into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And saying things on the playground that, you know, we want to hear. See, they're right. having fun and they're hugging each other and they're smiling and they're jumping up and down. So um, I wonder what you have to say about that, you know, the, the whole rhythm or guidelines or training that you do f- with the, with the um, Playworks coaches and get, yeah. getting them out there on the field and what, what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, really, we it's it's become sort of a running joke that I feel like our, my biggest contribution to public education has been reigniting a you know a love and passion for uh, rock paper scissors as the all-purpose <laughs> problem solver. And I think you're absolutely right that like um, you know kids really they do want to play. They're intrinsically motivated to play, and um, and the things that get in the way are a, a, you know an absence of of a sense of security and or a belief that if they follow the rules that good things will happen and the the beauty of rock paper scissors right is that it gives it gives people a sort of face saving way to just resolve like the 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 vast majority of arbitrary conflicts just really quickly and and really when you do that what's not only do you get to keep playing more and and you know it it just minimizes the tension and all those things it it actually creates more air and space for addressing the real conflicts that do arise, which I think is also can't be overstated as an important um, outcome. 
Uh, We also, I think that we really feel like um, giving our coaches as much training as they can get around how to build an environment that feels inclusive and um, and 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 to norm those behaviors. I, I I think sometimes as grown-ups we forget how much kids are looking to us to set standards, and our coaches really are rock stars. And the kids just think they want to be near them, they want to be like them, and so you know the constantly modeling behaviors around. Um, you know, saying good job, nice try, and giving high fives. And um, it's funny, one of the sort of practices is that when someone gets out in a game, you don't, you're not supposed to say, you're, we don't say you're out. We say good job, nice try, and give a high five. And sometimes I've been sort of accused of, you know, that that's so forced. And I, and I, I'm not going to deny that kids initially when you are suggesting this behavior change don't kind of say, good job, nice try, in a slightly snarky, uh, um, inauthentic way. But I really do think that the Buddhist concept of intentionality actually plays forth. It's like if you do it often enough, it starts to be true. And it is wild to watch how with just a little bit of nudging in the right direction, you can shift the whole way a school a schoolyard feels. So. Yeah, not only that, I mean, anecdotal, we, we, we can hear from the kids, we can hear from the teachers what, you know, the benefits of the type of program Playworks is, but we also, you also have some hard numbers now. You have some research that backs you up that is also, um, you have some percentages and things that you found on the website that speak yeah. to that. We're, we're going to do a big release uh, in the middle of May, I hope, um, around the, the findings that we did from a two-year randomized control trial study that was conducted by Mathematica Policy Research in Stanford. And um, the, the, we did already release some interim results around one of the most statistically significant uh, uh, findings around reducing bullying that's been documented in an RCT. Um, we also found that we recover instructional time, that kids actually report feeling safer at school, um, and teachers are happier, actually, we found at Playwork Schools, which was a nice outcome. Do you do any work with adults in terms of playing themselves in addition to coaching them in how to, how yeah. to engage kids in, in play and physical activity, but do you also work with them as, as uh, playing adults themselves? We do. We have a, we do out in the cities. We have a really uh, robust corporate recess program, and it, it's funny. In some ways, we do. Uh, we, the the point of entry is teaching grown ups the games that we play with kids, so that they can go out and volunteer at various schools. But the way we teach games is we get people playing together, and we do it at every school where PlayWorks um, operates. We also have the teachers go through our games so that they can understand our approach and reinforce it in the classroom. But we do find, and it's 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 so fun to watch grown-ups playing, um, that we, you know, that in the process of teaching them these games, ostensibly so that they can go volunteer with their own kids or work out in schools with us, that they are playing themselves. And, you know, it's the whole Plato quote that you learn more about a person in an hour of playing with them than in a, a year of conversation. And um, and I, I, it's fun to watch. And the other thing coming up is we also do uh, corporate kickball tournaments in all of our cities. So those are happening right now and um, all across the country. And if you go on our website, the different cities have them advertised when they're happening. Excellent way to, uh, to yeah. listeners to engage with the work you're doing. <laughs> and I, and I, I can 
certainly uh, see the interest coming out of, uh, you know, tapping back into our childhood from such reminiscence and perhaps the lack of opportunity to play such games in, in our adult life. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's funny to me, too. I think in a lot of ways um, one of the things I'm, I'm struck by is when I think about what it takes to make a really great game, it's there are two things, right? One is that you have all these other people who are willing to play with you and, and show up, and so there is this fundamental interdependence. And then the other thing is that you really fully show up yourself, that you are wholly present, and that with those two things in place, it doesn't matter about equipment or what the facilities are, but, but if you have those two ingredients you really do have all that it takes to make a really great game and or a great and a great play opportunity and i just think on some level the power of that as a metaphor for our educational system for our democracy for what it takes really to any kind of human endeavor um is that this basic fundamental like you really have to show up and you have to care and you have to be willing to be vulnerable in that way and you need other people, and it's it's true whether you're running a for-profit business or, in my case, if you're trying to expand a non a nonprofit nationally, those are the two things that really matter. Well, another thing I was struck with, Jill, with Playworks, is that you're asking for real money for the program. <laughs> I am asking I mean, for real money. Know, it's true. Yeah, well, because you know, I hear a lot of people say about nonprofits over the years, having worked with many of them, <clears throat> that um gee, you know, if you're a nonprofit, you know, you can't expect to make much money and we're bare bones here or whatever, you know. And so, um you know, I was just I think that um, you're the first group that I've actually read that online, <laughs> something about that. <laughs> and I appreciate that and that it is a full-time program and that you do have the coaches there in the school. Yes, and um, we give them health insurance and the, benefits. And, yes, all those yeah, things. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so I appreciate it as a, as a model, but I also think it speaks to the quality of the program and what you're asking both of yourselves as playworks and of the schools and the people that are working with you, um, the many people I'm sure you know that become this big team. Um, so I just I kind of wanted to bring that out because I think that that's that's a very valuable lesson for <laughs> right. about about what it takes to play, what right. it takes to really make a program like this work and um, bring everybody into it and make it make it work really well. So. I, I also, I mean, I think it's worth noting that, like, the, the goal, right, isn't to build the biggest possible playworks. The, the goal really is to change the system. Like, we want to make it so that every one of the 60,000 public elementary schools in this country are really considering seriously how play and recess in particular have a bearing on their educational system and design and goals and outcomes. And so, you know, I take, I, I was talking about stewardship earlier, but I I take this responsibility to the people who are investing in us and to the kids and families and teachers that we serve, I take it really seriously. Like this isn't just a, an exercise in building playworks. This is an exercise in, in really showing that the system can be improved upon with the people that are in place and that not only can that happen, but we have a responsibility to make sure that it does. 
And and it spe- what your model then speaks to the value of play and the value of what um, you're offering. Both you spoke to um, intention and um, those kind of bringing those kind of uh, intentions and qualities into the program. And I think when you bring in the so there's all these different elements of that. One is financial, and so you're also you're valuing what you're doing by offering that as part of your model. But I wonder, as we're concluding today, if you could um, speak to some of the voices of the kids and the teachers who are, you know, what they're saying about about play and play works. Yeah. And, in, and in 30 seconds, if you can, I know that's good. <laughs> Well, I was just in Phoenix, uh, Arizona this week, and I got to speak at the Junior Coach Conference. And that's uh, they brought together all the, the young leaders from the schools that were serving in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I got to see these kids demonstrating for their peers games that they did, you know, invented themselves and talk about the challenges and, the, and how much they've loved being junior coaches and to meet the coaches, the, the, the staff that worked there in the schools. And what was so clear was it that the experience of playing, more than all the didactic telling them what to do and telling them how to do it, but the experience of playing together had really given them a sense that they had a large measure of control and power over their own destinies and that they could go to college and they could do things and that they themselves could be change makers. And I think that's what play can do. Jill, thank you very much for sharing what you're doing and uh, best wishes with going forward and in growing this and uh, meeting the bigger goals you've told us about. Uh, Jill Violet is founder and CEO of Playworks. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and be notified of coming shows at creativityandplay.com. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Ellis Long. Thank you so much, Jill, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks.